We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners and custodians of the lands on which we record from today, the peoples of the Kulin Nation. I also pay my respects to the elders past and present. I extend that respect to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here today. Source, a new podcast from Cappy, where hosts Emma Evans and Thurman Wise get to the source of our daily rituals, speaking with entrepreneurs that are changing the face of our day-to-day. From making our bed to a glass of wine and everything in between, we give you a peek into the leaders making our daily rituals serve us better, support our communities and bring positive change to our surroundings. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Source Podcast. As always, myself, Thurman, and Emma, your host for the episode. Hoping you guys have all had a beautiful, beautiful long weekend. I know I had. I'm chilled out and ready for the week ahead. And we have such an exciting episode today. It's our fourth episode of season two, and today's guest is Anthea Lucas-Bosha, the CEO of Food and Drink Victoria. You might be familiar with a little thing called the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival, a really dear partner of Cappy. And yeah, just really excited to dive into the rituals and to the story behind Anthea's journey to lead such a wonderful organization that really highlights the beauty of what's happening in food and drink across not only the city, but also the state. And for me, particularly excited as I reckon she might be the one person that is eating and drinking at Melbourne's finest establishments, maybe more than myself. So, Anthea, welcome to The Source. Pleasure. Thank you. So, I guess, you know, one of the first things that we like to do, I imagine that anyone listening to our podcast today knows a bit about you, but if you wanted to give a little elevator pitch to some of the listeners that might not be familiar with your work. Sure. That would be a pleasure. So, my name is Anthea Lucas-Bosha. I'm the CEO of Food and Drink Victoria. We're a not-for-profit with a very simple mission to champion the food and drink of Victoria. And some of your listeners would, I hope, know our, I guess, our most signature piece of work, which is the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival. But the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival is just one piece of work that we do. We do trade missions. We do other programs such as Drink Victorian, which was a, a new program we ran this year. We run scholarships and awards programs and we create content for brands and for um, partners as well. My background is as a journalist. So I came into this role having had a media career for about 25 years. I started as a cadet on the Herald Sun in Melbourne and then I lived in Sydney for 20 years and for a big chunk of that time I was the editor of Gourmet Traveller magazine. So that was a big part of my life as well and I moved back to Melbourne and and here I am. Welcome back to Melbourne. (laughs) Thank you. When did you make the move back to Melbourne? In 2017. Okay, so Yeah, for a second. Been back for a little while, although it was pretty funny when I was – 
on Gourmet Traveller, I mean, there used to be quite a lot of criticism for magazines that they were very Sydney-centric because, well, most of them, that media is based up in Sydney. But it was quite funny when I was editing Gourmet and I would always be pushing Melbourne stories. Like I'd always come to Melbourne for meetings and I'd be like, we have to do a story on this, we have to do a story on that. To the team were like, are you on the payroll for Visit Victoria or something? <laughs> like it's just out of control. Yeah, I always hugely, I'm a huge fan of Melbourne. My heart has always been here. Loved living in Sydney, but... I think Melbourne is just such a special place. It's uh, according to the license plates here, it's the place to be, <laughs> I believe. And it's I also- mean, you live here, so it's the place to be. <laughs> I mean, listen, I don't want to, I don't want to say between Melbourne, Sydney or Brisbane, which is the, the key city, but I do like living here the yeah. most. And I guess like food and beverage is a part of living here. Yeah, it's such a huge part. I mean, and Sydney's a beautiful place. We had a great time living there and some really cool things happening in the restaurant and cafe and bar scene up there. But there's something special about Melbourne. I mean, not to jump in with a controversial question, Mm -hmm. better food. (laughs) (laughs) Different food. (laughs) (laughs) Different food. (laughs) How has that, I mean, so the transition from journalists to running food and drink Victoria. I mean, how has that gone? Do you look at leadership with the eye of a journalist always or? Yeah, well, I guess I can put it two ways. I guess being a leader, regardless of the role that is, you know, a similar beast, I guess, whether you're an editor or a CEO, I think you still, you know, there are certain values that I think you need to have. And, you know, and I have a very yeah, and certain values that you want the team to share and, and I think, you know, you really need to lead by example with that. So I think leadership is the same across the board. In terms of the editor versus CEO, yeah, it was quite a big transition and in a really, really difficult time with COVID, you know, that when I joined we inherited a festival that we ran in 2019, which was great, but it wasn't really until 2020 that the new team was established and we relaunched the program and the brand, I guess. In terms of editor versus CEO, yeah, it was a huge transition and there's, you know, there's certain parts of the role that are my strengths and certain parts that are not my strengths. But that's why, you know, I have a really great um, leadership team. But and particularly challenging with with the challenges around COVID. And yes, like I mentioned, we launched really our own sort of the new festival program in 2020 and we'd sold 95% of our tickets and we were ready to to launch into the program and then we were shut down with COVID. So it has been a really, really difficult time and not only for us, obviously, but, you know, we're in the business of tourism events and hospitality, three of the hardest hit sectors during this time. So I'm kind of I'm quite fatalistic. I think maybe, you know, I was meant to be here at that time. You know, I'm a pretty resilient person. <laughs> you kind of have to be. But I hope there are, you know, karma seas ahead. So how did you personally, I guess, navigate the pandemic for you and to stay grounded and clear? I'm sure that I can kind of relate in the sense of like in a leadership position, yeah. you're having to deal with not only your own Mm. process and world but the team Mm. the business and so on yeah thank you well I have a wonderful husband who's very supportive and you know we were at home uh, working from home so he's a very calming presence I can get a bit wound up but he's very calm so he was a great support and in terms of the team yeah they were very much my focus and just trying to navigate a way through for us when we'd lost all of our income And we were in, you know, uncharted territory like so many other businesses Mm. and, 
you know, some very difficult conversations that needed to happen with key stakeholders. And um, we were very lucky. We had great support from our key partners, including government. Mm-hmm. We just did everything we could to keep the team together. We reduced the team to three days for nine months, which mm-hmm. was really tough. So everyone took quite a lot of pain. And of course, you know, I was probably working six and a half days a week mm-hmm. <laughs> because like I said, there was just so much work to do to untangle, you know, a festival that had made so many commitments that could no longer run and in a foreign place, in a, in a situation that we'd never had to deal with before. And mm-hmm. then on top of that, we had you know, one of our biggest stakeholders that, you know, the hospitality industry was really suffering and we were trying to do whatever we could with no funds. No one was paying us to do that, to support them. Mm -hmm. And we were really active online during that period, Yeah, you know, through our channels just to to give that support. We ran forums for the industry, you know, with subjects as simple as what is JobKeeper. Mm -hmm. Um, They were really popular. And yeah, we just, you know, we just kept I hate that word pivoting, but we just kept ducking and diving and doing whatever we could to to keep ourselves afloat but to also support people that were doing it really, really tough. It definitely felt, especially I think for us at Cappy sometimes, where it yeah. felt like you had the water pail in front of right. the pipe. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. What? But yeah. I guess might as well no. try yeah. something, you know. Well, that was it. You know, luckily... You know, I think having had a media career and particularly like having worked in newspapers perhaps and I'm going off on a bit of a tangent now but particularly early in my career when I worked on daily newspapers, you had to kind of think quickly on your feet and you had to meet hard deadlines and you had to, you know, find a way around a story or, or you know, so you, I'm quite good at that and I'm quite good at going with the flow I guess when you have to. And I guess also just having a bit of a reality check about, you know, you can only control what you can control, Mm. I think, and you can only do your best. And, you know, if you go to bed at night knowing that you've done your absolute best, you've left no stone unturned, you've done everything you could to support the team to find a way through for the business, then I'm I'm happy with that. Some nights probably easier sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. You wake up at two and you're like, wait, did I? Yeah, yeah. But I guess like, I mean, interesting you mentioned about the the newspaper bit, because I assume mm-hmm. then you've probably had that challenge of time previously where newspaper was really transforming so mm. quickly into digital. And mm. that would have been such a shift for you to have to pivot in. Yeah, yeah, it was. And I think it, it absolutely was. And probably faced that more by the time I was at Gourmet Traveller. I, I would think it would be fair to say because when I was at the newspaper, I was still quite a junior. I mean, I was a I was an editor, but I was not making those decisions. Yeah. I wasn't in the, the, the same forum as, say, when I'd moved to Gourmet and I was then sort of more part of the leadership of, of the business. Yeah. I guess mm. at the end of the day, whether it's COVID or who knows mm. what's next, there's probably going to be another mm. great transition or transformation where – yeah, yeah. as like Pitsy Outline always says, you know, the best laid business plans and then Mr. Leftfield comes along and yeah. whacks you in the face mm. <laughs> more often than you realise. I think it's good to recognise that though, isn't it? Because it gives you some comfort yep. in that, you know, best laid plans, but you're going to have to, you're going to have to find an alternative because that feels like 
it's more and more part of our world now than it has ever been, mm-hmm. you know, and not only with the pandemic, I guess, you know, all the, the flow on effect of the pandemic, you know, cost of living pressures, mm-hmm. staff shortages, war. Yeah. You know, there's so much uncertainty in the mm-hmm. world. So I think if you can adopt that kind of approach, I think it's a, it's a lot healthier way to live. Mm. And a bit of, I guess, just, mm. you know, you can stress as much as you want. But if you don't take some form of enjoyment out of what's happening around you, then, and I think maybe hopefully that's what the pandemic has taught us is that Mm. like, enjoy the fruits of your labor. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, going to the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival this last year, I mean, Mm. it was like, you could tell people were like savoring every last sip and bite. And it just seemed like, it seemed like the best one ever. Yeah, it was joyful. I think it was that time as well. We'd just come out of... We, it felt like we had just sort of come over a bit of a hump and then, of course, there was Omicron not far behind. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. but, Enjoy um, it in the moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And so for... I mean, I know that you go to bed every night feeling that you've left <laughs> no stone unturned, but... Um, what is your, like, do you, you know, for your mornings or for your mm. afternoons, you know, are there things that you do to to better prepare you for the task at hand or... or you know, I think especially as well when people probably don't realize your schedule's not nine to five. Yes. Uh, you've yeah. just been running us through what you've been up to and mm. before recording and it's like, it's not nine to five at all. <laughs> no, no, it's not. And I think a lot of people are more like that than they were perhaps um, pre-pandemic, but... For me, I do exercise. Like that is for me my therapy, I think, probably. It's probably my meditation as well. Most mornings I'll be doing something, whether I'm at the gym or going for a walk or something. That's the best way that I can prepare. It's sort of my time. It's thinking time. It's Or it's not thinking time. <laughs> yeah. And normally that would be with my husband as well. So we have that time together. No. Yeah, I imagine that with your guys' schedules, it's probably like savoring the time that you guys can find. Yeah, we're pretty social, but yeah, we also, yeah, we, so it, sometimes it's hard to balance both of that, but you know, getting home late at night and then getting up at, you know, quarter to six to get to the gym or whatever. <laughs> but, you know, as I always say, you never leave the gym saying, I wish I hadn't have done that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Or whatever your exercise is, whatever your yoga or whatever mm-hmm. it is. I do have to say, though, you brought up being social. I think, of all the guests that we've had, your social schedule might <laughs> eclipse my social <laughs> schedule. You're the first guest that might go to more di- restaurants and bars than myself, I would say. No, it is it is a tough balance to be able to do that where you're mm. like, you know, you have a dinner, you know, and then to have the discipline yeah. to wake up. Yes. And yes. do it. I mean, I, I normally don't do the morning thing. I'm right. sleeping in. Yeah, you're sleeping in. I think something that I was thinking about in preparing for today and working in this industry is like the pinch me moments that Mm. sometimes you take for granted, you know, working in whether food and beverage, hospitality or events, it can feel like that's your norm and it just Mm. rolls and rolls. I definitely have moments where I'm just like, wow, this is like so cool or such a privilege. You must have some great stories. You know what I have to say? I do practice gratitude. I'm always had that attitude and even like I said in my former life as a editor of a magazine you know I was very fortunate I worked on a food and travel magazine so I took myself on some wonderful trips you know we had wonderful 
experiences and I never, ever took any of them for granted. Even just now we were talking about the fact that I was just in London for a few days. It was a very quick trip. But I felt so lucky to be there and we did really good work and I think you're right. I think, well, I don't take ever take it for granted. I don't ever take an invitation for granted and I think that's a good way to be. Mm. And are there any, any, like any particular moments where you like, maybe even just in the last couple of weeks, I guess London might be one of them, but any restaurants or places that you go, they're like, wow, this is what I do. Well, I think with the festival that we just ran, I think having Nigella Lawson here as part of the festival was. Our team were losing their mind over that. (laughs) Losing their minds. I mean, that was definitely a pinch me moment when I went and met her at, you know, her hotel and, and that. Yeah, she she was such a wonderful guest and and loved Melbourne so much. I think and any of the big events that we run, I'm always astonished by what the team create, like the world's longest lunch, the world's longest brunch. To me, that's such a massive undertaking, you know, the fact that Ben Shuri cooked, you know, for 1,800 people in the Treasury Gardens and the food was immaculate. That was definitely a pinch me moment. And, and even the next day at the brunch when the guys did poached eggs for 1,800 people. I couldn't believe it. I mean, and they were perfect. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> who decided this? I know. <laughs> I remember, I mean, I, obviously I'd seen the menu, but it wasn't until the plate like hit the table and I'm like, wow, okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I stress out about one. Yeah, me too. I can't do one. It's one thing I can't do. In what you do, I guess like with the background as a journalist, do you still find yourself writing? Um, bits and pieces. I mean, yeah, I'm always editing something, yeah. <laughs> whether it's a piece of signage or I think it's more about content and creation and ideas I think is probably where my strengths lie. Like truth be told, I was a much better editor than I was writer. I was a great reporter, but I used to, you know, we used to hire the best writers in the business, like people like AA Girl used to write for us. So I kind of, you know, I knew which which lane I was, you know, best in. So I think, you know, project management, having ideas, making them happen, is probably a strength and probably the networks that we have, you know, within the industry and being able to corral people to come on the journey with us. But I do love writing. You know, I still, I'll, you know, d- definitely polish a piece of copy for someone that, that comes in for a deck or, or for a speech or something. And I guess, like, I mean, with Melbourne Food and Wine and with Food and Drink Victoria, I mean, you guys are really a content powerhouse mm. just from, you know, what you're putting out online, socials, EDMs, like everything is so curated and so informative for the audience. So it's kind of, I mean, I suppose in a way you're sort of like CEO slash editor of sorts. (laughs) Definitely. I mean, thank you for acknowledging that. It definitely, I I tend to agree. I think, I mean, that's my background. That's our creative director, Pat Nurse. That's his background. He's one of the best food writers in the country. And it's definitely a strength of ours as an organization. And the way that we see it is that, you know, if it's sort of like it's a 24-7 always on strategy that we're constantly talking about Melbourne and food and drink, not just at the festival, you know, once or as as the case may be, twice a year. So I just think it just deepens our engagement also with our audience and we can support the industry, you know, better by telling great stories and whether those stories are at the festival or in an EDM every week or on a post every day, then that's how we do that work. Yeah, and I guess like it is, I think 
it's one of those things as well where the general audience it's so inundated with new information and mm. melbourne is probably like i mean coming here from la i thought la was a food city absolutely and it is absolutely but melbourne is like constantly mm. evolving there's five new cafes just opened probably in the last 30 minutes like <laughs> you guys are such a source to be able to i guess curate that experience you know yeah, well, like I said, it's credit to the team, you know, Pat, our content manager, Frank Sweet. We have an amazing head of design, Lauren Bonkowski, who does beautiful work. She it's so good. conceived the 30 Under 30 campaign, which is beautiful. We have a great marketing team. Yeah, so it is what we do and it's central to our vision, I guess. You mentioned the 30 Under 30 and mm-hmm. I'm, you get exposure to everything, like those that are just kicking goals and have been institutions in Melbourne, but then those that are like up and coming. Our listeners love to know who's inspiring our guests or if there's like a, you know, keep a watch on this person and they're one to watch. Do you have any people that, or brands or or companies that you'd call out as inspiring right now in the space? Oh, look, to be honest with you, every single one of those 30 chefs under 30, I was completely in awe of and inspired by. I did a dinner last night at Society with a handful of them and just their passion and their dedication and I think as well this sort of newer approach to the world of hospitality and what they want to bring to the space is really inspiring. If you hop onto melbournefoodandwine.com.au, our website, and, and read the profiles, there's so much about wellness and balance and kindness and support, which I think is really healthy for the industry. Mm-hmm. It's a common thread that, that, that comes through all of them. And I think the fact that there's such a diverse group of people as well was really fascinating and they all bring something really different to the space. I mean, you know, and I think it was such a cool group in that, you know, you have big names like Hugh Allen from Vietamond and Rasheen Call from Etta, but then, you know, it might be a, a junior pastry chef at Attica that no one's heard of or, you know, it could be Audrey from Holy Sugar or who's doing amazing work. Um, we had some beautiful food last night from Hannah Watt, who's working at Bellotta and Broccoli, who's at Hawker Hall. And these are the stars of the future. These will be the ones that will, yeah, be running the show in, in you know, a little while. And I have to say that we are in very good, very safe and very delicious hands, as I had <laughs> mentioned on the night of the gala. I was so inspired by that. If I can say as well, I was really proud of us as a festival that we chose this very important milestone moment, our 30th anniversary, to spotlight this talent and really give them the stage. I think that's what gave the campaign and the gala and the dinners so much heart and there was so much love in the room at the gala for these young young chefs. It's amazing. Saw a lot on social, so mm. it was getting coverage. <laughs> It's really refreshing to hear too, as you mentioned, like, and I think from a lot of our guests, you know, when they talk about the future, they talk about these young people that are really the future of the industry and thinking of things in a holistic way, you know, Mm. like, like you said, like kindness and balance and, you know, burnout is not a badge of honor. Yeah. Mm. And I think like, you know, for a lot of industries, but especially in the hospitality Mm -hmm. industry, you know, can't speak to everywhere, but, you know, as being a part of it younger those were not necessarily always the values that were in hospitality. It was like late nights, who's working the longest, who's working the hardest. It was a real grind. It's brutal and it's not sustainable. 
and that's why people burn out. Absolutely. And I think these, it is generational. I think as well. This, you know, the the younguns, they, they they're just so much more aware. I think, you know, and hopefully they've also got really great role models in, you know, their head chefs and their leaders and their restaurant owners who are, you know, really cognizant of, you know, a a new way forward. Totally. And I think too, like you mentioned as well, like diversity as well, like Mm -hmm. even the growing understanding of diversity in Melbourne, like I was reading, there's the restaurant Manza. Mm -hmm. Is it Mauritanian? Food, uh, Mauritian, Mauritian, Mauritian yes, food, sorry. Yes. But you know, like things like that, where I imagine 10 years ago that like, there's always yeah. been diversity to some degree, but it just seems the level of unique stories and things that are happening are just oh, so absolutely. wild at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's testament to who we are as a city and, and our cultural mix, I guess. But yeah, yeah I think it's really interesting that, that, that we're seeing this sort of level of detail and level of depth into you know regional cuisines of of a place or people tapping into their personal heritage and sharing that with Melbournians. I think what's really cool about that as well I don't know if you're picking up Thurman but there's such a thread like from our conversation with Leanne who's the general manager of Cole Supermarkets mm-hmm. like she was really inspired by their international offering and mm-hmm. kind of expanding that to Alice who was talking about the diversity in getting kids to eat and what they're exposed to and how to put joy into cooking for the parents and them and then now to you know what we're able to experience when we're out and about just like such a privilege that we have so much on offer whether you're cooking at home or you're going out I I think you're absolutely right and you know I think there's two other parts to that that I don't think we acknowledge enough one is the quality of the produce that we grow in this state and you know, our food scene would be nothing without that very basic <laughs> ingredient, yep. which is well beating and pristine. And we, you know, punch way above our weight. We are the food bowl of the mm-hmm. country. We can grow pretty much anything or make pretty much anything. So I think there's that. But I think as well, the other thing that I often think about in regards to Australia and Melbourne is that we're not bound by tradition like other cuisines or other countries might be like France or Italy. So I think that gives our chefs freedom to be more creative with the way that they might approach certain ingredients or cuisines and pick and choose, I think, potentially from from different cuisines in a way that it might not as be as widespread, say in Rome or Paris. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, actually, a third thing is, yeah, the fact that we are all from very young children exposed to so many different cuisines because of who we are as a city. We're the most food literate people I think in the world probably because we can have great Thai we can have great Vietnamese we can have Greek we can have Italian you know pretty much any Mauritian any mm-hmm. any cuisine that you you care to name and then any sort of you know regional cuisine within that cuisine again I think we sometimes we forget that mm-hmm. as well and it's so cool just to see how well people work together because it's even like, you know, like you said, like the farmers, right? Like it mm. starts with the farmers, which is such an amazing thing. Mm. And then you have the chefs, but then you also have in industries alongside people incorporating those flavors. You know, it's like you'll get Thai basil and gin, yeah. you know, or like we and we do a yuzu soda, but like exactly. Four Pillars has their amazing yuzu gin and Australia is so innovative. Yeah, that's where right. It's like you mentioned where like, yeah. Brandy doesn't have to be like this brandy every time to be a brandy. It's like people can chop and change. Sometimes it works. Exactly. 
Other times it doesn't. You just don't talk about it. Yeah, well, that's right. <laughs> well, you learn from it. You learn from yeah, it. You have to have a crack. I mean, you know, Melbourne really is the centre for creativity and innovation in this country, I think. You know, and then you could, could even take it a step further. Look at this beautiful room we're sitting in, design, and the beautiful restaurants that we have and the architects and the interior designers behind those, mm-hmm. our floral artists. We create, you know, some pretty amazing experiences and some pretty amazing spaces. It takes a village, right? I was just about to say it takes a village or often we have, you know, Guy Grossi in our little world of Cappy and he's, I love his passion about Mm. when you're eating and he's like wants to tell you where everything's from and like the (laughs) farmer and their daughter's name and like I just love it. It's so great that there's so much passion behind it as Mm. well and authenticity. Yes, yes. I think authenticity is really important piece actually for particularly in Melbourne and mm-hmm. integrity I think yeah you're more likely to find that here than any other city in terms of the way people approach their new restaurant or their new cafe mm-hmm. with that like I guess like authenticity mm-hmm. and integrity you know in your career as I guess career development mm-hmm. as an editor to a CEO have mm-hmm. there been any people or pieces of advice mm-hmm. that you know were given to you that has shaped yeah. your career I think for a lot of our listeners you know like there's you know getting to listen to someone like yourself Mm. to share maybe a little of that advice for their life, anything that really stands out? Yes. One thing that I always come back to, which was something my, one of my mentors used to say, he was my publisher when I was at Gourmet Traveller and he was an incredible man. He still is an incredible man, but he, he was a very Aussie guy. And he always used to say, if we had to make a difficult decision, he always used to say, you got to back yourself, mate. And to me, that had a few different meanings. It was like, yeah, obviously he's supporting me. Like he has support for me in the decision that I make. But it also says to me that, you know, I've got your back as well. Like I'm trusting you to make this decision and I've got your back. And I think I do often call on that when I have a difficult decision to make or there are difficult times. And he used to also say another thing, which is hire the best people you can afford, inspire them and challenge them. And I think that's also something really a good sort of, yeah, motto, I guess, to to live by in terms of the team. And I also used to have something I used to say at Gourmet Traveller to my team, which is that I have a very, very strict no asshole policy. Mm-hmm. So we do not hire assholes. Mm-hmm. And if we find that one sneaks through, then we kind of manage that pretty swiftly. <laughs> and I won't tolerate that kind of behaviour within the team. And the most important thing for me with, with the team here and the thing I was most proud of when I left Gourmet was the culture that we created, the team that we built and the fact that everyone always supported each other, looked out for each other. It was a very caring, fun, supportive place. And for me, that's really, really important. It kind of, you you know, I think you can be kind of cynical about it and I think you create the best work and perhaps it's sort of harder to do that now that we're working so much more remotely, like to bring the team together. Mm -hmm. But for me, it's really important because we're all humans and work, we love what we do and we're, you know, are quite consumed by it. But at the end of the day, we need to be seen and heard and, and feel loved and that's the very, very important things to me. Very sound. I'm having a <laughs> bit of a pitsy day, but it reminds me of him because he always says to me, united we stand, divided we fall. And mm. if we had to disagree, that's fine behind closed doors, but we'll always show up together or he'll always have my back. 
because yeah the alternative doesn't feel very good yeah (laughs) i mean we're all like i think it's one of those things like we're all in it together whether it's your job your family your community Mm. your state your country and if you put certain selfish things in front of the the rest it's just going to kind of crumble eventually yeah that's exactly right yeah so everyone out there if you're listening don't be an asshole. <laughs> Especially if you would want to join Cappy or Food in Victoria. I feel like we, we sort of try to keep that policy as well. Yeah, definitely. I don't think it would fly here for very long. Yeah. Or anywhere, really. I mean, goodness gracious. Yeah. The world needs a bit more love. Mm-hmm. One of our big, I think, kind of questions for this season is... Kind of like on that note, you know, I think there's a lot of doom and gloom mm-hmm. about, you know, you mentioned it earlier, like we have so much to think about now between pandemics, there's wars and things like that. But instead of getting stuck in that, really trying to understand, you know, what are some of the things that excite you about tomorrow? Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that you look forward to, whether for yourself personally or for the industry? I think I'm just constantly inspired by talent. And people having a go, I think, you know, I'm a very positive person and I always try and look at the, you know, the upside, a half glass full type person. And I think that served me well. I've had tough times, but I think you have to try and stay positive. I think particularly when you're in a leadership position, I think it's really important. But I'm really excited about Melbourne. I mean, I think we, like I said, oh God, I feel like such a cheerleader, but there's so much cool stuff happening here. I mean, look at Cappy. Look at what you guys are doing. They're amazing brands. I love Lucy Folk as well, by the way, right. which sounds a bit silly seeing as, you know, they're an associated brand. But there are so many people doing cool stuff. I love the guys at Mecca who I'm pretty close to and, you know, as an inspiration, Joe Horgan and Marita Burke who, you know, are central to to the the creativity behind that brand it's super inspiring and yeah we work with them with the festival which I'm very grateful for but I mean there's a success story and there's someone to you constantly like pick you up when you're feeling a little bit down but there are so many inspiring people doing wonderful things I won't even start to name chefs and restaurateurs because there's way too many (laughs) but another one that I look to as well because I am in so much admiration for what he's created is Tony Elwood at the NGV and the way that he has made the NGV a place of real inclusion and it's a very democratic experience. And I've brought certain pieces of that to the festival where we, you know, we really wanted there to be something for everyone and, you know, I think we're doing a really good job of that kind of high-low mix because that's, you know, the festival should be something for everyone, you know, all the way from, you know, Isaac McHale from the Clove Club to, you know, a party where you can eat as many hot chips as you like (laughs) and everything in between. (laughs) It's really cool though because I guess especially in this space, you sometimes forget that this might be someone's first, you know, like Mm. I didn't come out of the womb wanting to eat oysters and have a martini at Gimlet, but you know, like there's things, journeys start. And I think oftentimes people do forget that Mm. you do need to be able to, you know, bring people into the universe. Yeah, definitely. I think we want to reach as many people as possible. So 
I mean, you know, we, when I say, you know, hot chips and as many as you can eat, they'll be really good hot chips. <laughs> like, you know, we have a, I think the byword for the festival probably is, you know, quality and, and, you know, I think we're very trusted as a brand that delivers a good experience, whether it's a story online that you talked about or a post or a, a party or an event. But I think I'm definitely getting way off track. But yeah, ideas and talent is what inspires me. I'm very happy that my football team's going very well at the moment. So that's good too. Which is? The Pies. Is that Collingwood? It is yeah. Collingwood. I was told not to like them. Yeah, no, <laughs> unless you barrack for them, you don't like them. I like I liked their colors. Yeah, they're good colors. I was like, oh, this is my team. And I came into the office and everyone was like, have you decided? I was like, like Collingwood. And everyone was like, no. <laughs> so I settled on S- Essendon. Did you really? I like their colors second oh, best. Oh, okay, that's what I follow. But like, I don't follow it as strongly anymore, but growing up. So do they have a shot? Is that? Yeah. All the way. All the way to the grand final. Wow. Damn, your getting, team is winning. It's yes. getting we, we, We're happy to reclaim you. Uh, if you'll have me. <laughs> We've got a lot of ink in our team. If you uh, like. team, yeah. <laughs> let's, I mean, let's see. So talent, inspiring young people and the pies. That's, that's lighting the future. I mean, thank you so much for today's chat. I mean, so beautiful to hear your insights and, and your journey and that I'm also allowed back to, to be a fan of, of Collingwood. <laughs> um, but we're so, so excited to see what's in store for Food and Drink Vic. For all of our listeners, definitely check them out online. We'll share everything. We will share everything. Get ready for, I guess, a ton of events coming up. Yes, we have um, an announcement happening soon about the second part of the festival that will be running a little bit later in the year but probably can't share anything at the moment. And then the Melbourne Festival will be back in March next year. Thank you so much, Anthea, for joining us on this episode of The Source. And thank you to our listeners out there. Hope you enjoyed the chat. If you did, of course, a little ask from us to share, follow, download, like. And if you really enjoyed it, appreciate a post on any favorite form of social media. And please tune in in two weeks' time when we have the founder of Mason Balzac, Elise Piak. It'll be a great chat about the creativity behind her amazing brand. Until then, ciao for now and speak soon.